Good morning. I'd like to uh, invite you, if you would, to turn in your New Testaments to the uh, letter, the first letter of Paul to the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians. And uh, we're going to look at some verses in chapters 4 and 5. So 1 Thessalonians chapters 4 and 5. And as you are finding your way to that location, I invite you to close your eyes, bow your heads, open your hearts as we prepare to hear God's word together. Lord, thank you for uh, some moments of stillness, some moments of quiet, uh, when the barrage of noise and busyness and activity can be set aside for just a while so that we can attend to your voice and to your words and to uh, your presence. Help us to be aware of your presence now, here, with us. Help us to listen for your voice speaking through your word. Lord, your voice is life-giving, it is creative, it is joyful. Fill us with these things, for Jesus' sake, and in his name, amen. I think what I'd like to do, uh, the, the verse that I listed in the bulletin, I think, is in Thessalonians 5. I think what I'd like to do is drop back into chapter 4. I've actually been thinking all morning about how I want to do this, because there's two, two verses I want to pick up, and each of them have a little bit of context. Let's look at the uh, 13th verse of Thessalonians 4, and we'll read a little bit of chapter 4 and then the, end of chapter, uh, the middle of chapter 5. So 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13. And now, brothers and sisters, I want you to know what will happen to the Christians who have died, so you will not be full of sorrow like the people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus comes, God will bring back with Jesus all of the Christians who have died. I can tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not, uh, will not rise to meet him ahead of those who are in their graves. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout and the call of the archangel and the trumpet call of God. And first, all of the Christians who have died will rise from their graves. Then, together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and remain with him forever. So, comfort and encourage each other with these words. And then drop down in chapter 5 to verse 9. For God decided to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. He died for us so that we can live with him forever, whether we are dead or alive at the time of his return. So, encourage each other, and build each other up, just as you were already doing. And we'll ask God to bless this reading, his holy and inspired word. Amen. So a big part of what it means to be a human being uh, is that we love stories. We love to tell stories. We love to listen to stories. Uh, we love stories. Stories uh, remind us of our past. They ground us again in our roots and connect us to our heritage, where we've come from, and 
Stories captivate our imagination. They energize us and, and motivate us. Stories uh, nurture our hopes and our dreams. My guess is that over the holiday season, uh, as you've gathered together with friends and family, uh, some of you have told some stories. Uh, you've listened to stories together. Uh, some of the stories that you've told have been the sort that produce those sort of deep belly laughs that you just laugh and laugh until your eyes are filled with tears and you feel like you're aching and about to split in two. Uh, some of the stories that you've told and some of the stories that you've listened to are uh, poignant stories, stories about loved ones who are not here with us anymore, uh, whose space at the Christmas table is empty. Uh, we've told stories together at the table. Uh, it's natural for us as human beings to turn to stories when we are with people that we love. It's probably a good bet that some of us either gave or received books this past Christmas. Anybody get a book for Christmas, a good book, something that you're looking forward to digging into? Do you know that Americans last year spent about $5 billion just on fiction alone? The $5 billion worth of investment in our stories. You know, the, you know the, the top categories, Andy, you probably know this, the top categories of book sales uh, in this category, uh, it's number one, number one category of, of fiction is romance. Romance. And interestingly enough, it holds true for the church library as well. By far and away, the most popular books to get checked out of our church library are the romance section. Uh, and if you don't believe we have a romance section, you should check it out. It's all right. Uh, so we have a romance, a crime and mystery, number two, science fiction, and then horror, right? We love our stories, and we're willing to invest massive amounts of money in them. Uh, we like to watch stories unfold in front of us. Uh, in addition to the $5 billion we shelled out for fiction uh, this past year, uh, Americans also spent about $12 billion going to see movies. Uh, $12 billion going to see movies this past year. And at the end of the previous year, the chairman and chief executive officer of the Motion Picture Association of America said this, Today, there are more stories and more storytelling mediums than ever before. Producers and filmmakers are continually finding new talent and technologies to weave these tales. At the same time, theater owners are investing in the best ways to bring movies to life with better sound and screens and special effects. Around the world, he said, storytelling in the movie-going experiences that bring great stories to life is very much alive and well. We love our stories. We love stories. As a preacher, uh, I've learned over the years how deeply it is that stories connect. Uh, I'm fascinated. I'm always fascinated by this uh, phenomenon that happens where somebody will come up to me and say, you know, uh, four years ago on the second Sunday of February, you told this story. And they can recite the story in details. And I don't even remember ever telling this story. And then they'll say something like, I have no idea what your point was or what the sermon was about, but I remember the story that you told. And there's something wrong about that. In preaching school, they say, don't ever let the story get away from you so that people remember the story and not the, the point. But stories are the thing that we remember. Stories are the thing that we connect to. When a story is unfolding, people open their eyes and lean forward and lean in and listen more closely. Human beings love stories. A few years ago, I uh, received a job review. 
and uh, I get a, a performance review annually. And um, a number of years ago, I uh, sat down, and one of the things that the board said to me uh, was, and I'd, I'd been here um, you know, nine, eight, nine, ten years at that point, and they said, um, we, we like most of the things that you're, that you're doing, uh, but what we want to tell you is um, we don't feel like we know you as well as we would like to know you at this point. And so one of the ways that I took that on is I started to tell more stories. I started to tell more stories about my own life, started to tell stories about my own faith, my own formation, my own failures, my own victories, telling more stories. And the more stories that I told, you told me you felt like you knew me better. We love stories. Stories help us to connect. Stories help us to build relationships. Stories help us to know one another. By the way, uh, that storytelling doesn't just have to be in a formal, structured setting like this. Uh, I'd love to hear your story. I'd love for you to ask me more about my story. Uh, make an appointment. Stop by the office. Bring a cup of coffee and a donut, and we'll tell some stories. Invite us over for dinner. We'll tell some stories. Whatever, it is, Or we'll have you over for dinner. I just put us on the hook big time, Tam. But... Um, Tell some stories together, because part of what it means to be a human being is that we love to tell stories. We love to listen to stories. And it's also a big, big, big part of what it means to be a Christian. Uh, Christianity is a storytelling faith. Uh, our God comes to us not with a dusty list of propositions and doctrines, but he comes to us with endless, countless stories. From Jonah to Job, Moses, and David, and Daniel, from Ruth to Esther to Mary, and most centrally, perhaps, to Jesus himself, whose story all of the other stories have been contributing to and pointing us towards. Our faith is a living and breathing story. To be a Christian, then, is to be a storyteller. And our text today in Thessalonians commands us. Uh, command is not too strong of a word for the imperative tense that Paul uses. He commands us to tell our stories. He says, tell your story to one another. In chapter 4, verse 18, the command is translated first as comfort. And then as encourage, uh, it's the same word, comfort and encourage. In chapter 5, verse 11, it's translated as encourage. Comfort and encourage. The one Greek word that lies behind both of those words in translation is the same word. It's paraclete. Some of you recognize the Greek word paraclete as the description that is used in the New Testament to describe the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the paraclete. The Holy Spirit is the comforter. The Holy Spirit is the encourager. And Paul's command, his imperative to us, is to be people who comfort and encourage one another. And he says, how do you do that? What is the way that you do that? And in both cases, he says, by using these words, by telling these stories. Christianity is a storytelling faith because human beings are storytelling people. And our God comes to us telling stories. 
the command of Paul is, tell your story. Tell your story. So here's the story behind our text today. Uh, Paul writes this letter to the church in Thessalonica. It's a very early New Testament letter. It's perhaps the very first New Testament letter that Paul ever wrote. He writes this to a church that um, was birthed in a community that showed him a personal kindness that was generous to him, that welcomed him. And as Paul shared not only his message, but also he says his life, he shared his story with these people. They thrilled to the message of the gospel and they received Jesus and they saw the work of the Holy Spirit powerfully in their midst. And then Paul moves on and he begins planting other churches and goes to other locations. And over time, uh, he gets reports back from this community in Thessalonica. And he learns that there are some rumblings, some pastoral concerns that he needs to address. And so he writes them a letter addressing the concerns that have arisen. You see, the church in Thessalonica uh, had a very uh, keen awareness that Jesus was going to return. Uh, They were vigilant about the imminent return of Christ. Uh, They woke up looking to the skies, believing fully. I mean, imagine living your life in this fashion, that every single day you woke up, you believed, you fully expected that this is the the day that Jesus is going to return. You, You just lived expecting that return of Jesus. And when you went to bed at night, you were a little bit surprised, a little stunned that Jesus hadn't returned. Uh, It's almost the opposite of the way we live our lives. We live our lives uh, with absolutely uh, minimal amounts of expectation, waking up in the morning thinking, today is it, this is the day, this is the day. We don't do that. In Thessalonia, that's all they did. And that led to a couple of challenges. One challenge is, if you think today is the day Jesus is going to come back, why bother going to work? And so uh, a handful of people in the community... uh, Perhaps some people who were vocal uh, said, uh, we're going to call that quits. And so they uh, weren't working. And so both uh, First and Second Thessalonians, Paul uh, addresses this issue of idleness. He says, you need to get to work. Use your hands. Earn your living. Uh, and he's saying, uh, don't allow your excitement for Jesus' return to prevent you from going to work. The second thing is a little bit more uh, serious, and that is... If Jesus is going to come back in our lifetime, that's all well and good. Well, we're all still alive. But what happens when some of us start to die? And as the church in Thessalonia starts having some funerals, it raises some concerns. Uh, What about these people who've died? Uh, Are they going to miss out on Jesus' return? Are they out of luck? So they are wondering about either... Mm, the message itself might not be all they thought it was, or their loved ones are in jeopardy. In either case, it's a pastoral concern. And Paul writes to them and says, I want you to be assured. I want you to know. And this is how he assures them. In a shorthand way, he reminds them of the story. In a shorthand way, he returns to the story of Jesus. He says, remember the story of Jesus? Do you remember the ark? of that story that Jesus was born and Jesus lived and Jesus died? 
and everybody thought death was the end, but then Jesus rose again. Do you remember how it was that he appeared to people and he established in history the fact that he had risen from the dead? Do you remember the story? And if you remember that much of the story, Paul says, let me fill you in on the rest of the story. The rest of the story is that that same Jesus is coming again. And, and, and once you have come to a place of belonging to that Jesus, nothing will pry you out of his hands. And when he returns, uh, the dead will be raised first. Not only are they not counted out, but they're going to get the very first experience of being transformed into their new resurrected bodies. He says, this is the rest of the story. Hold on to the story. And then he says, comfort, encourage, paraclete one another with these words. Tell the story. They will bring comfort. They'll bring encouragement. So a question this morning is, what is your story? Uh, what is your story, and how does it intersect with the story of Jesus? How, how is the story of Jesus welcoming you in, and touching you, and changing you, and moving you? How is the story of Jesus alive in you? How is the story of Jesus comforting you and encouraging you? often a very personal story. I uh, am looking forward in a couple of days to celebrating a wedding with Al and Sharon. Uh, many of you know Al Andresen, and uh, he gave me uh, permission today to uh, tell this part of his story. Um, he has an amazing story, a story of love, a story of grace, a story of trust, and therefore a story about the goodness of Jesus. And uh, if you get a moment to ask Al or Sharon about their story together, uh, ask him in person, and he'll tell you. So Al made an appointment to come in and see me, and uh, he came in, and Al is uh, usually a fairly straightforward guy. Uh, and he came in, and he was animated, and he was enthusiastic, and he was, like, bubbly, and so excited. He had all of the hallmarks of somebody who had just had an encounter with the Lord. And he said, I have to tell you the story. I have to tell you what's happening. He said, I'm getting married. And I'm getting married to my high school sweetheart. Uh, we, we were in love back in high school. We thought that we were going to be together then. And then life intervened, and we both went our separate ways. We both had marriages and families. And both of us have lost our spouses. And now, 50 years later, God has intervened in very specific and very personal, tender ways to bring the course of our life back together again. And I'm getting married. Personal story that brought encouragement to me, that filled me with joy, and it helped me to see something very special about our loving and caring Jesus. Telling a story about Jesus in our life sometimes feels vulnerable. Sometimes it feels like um, we're exposing too much of ourselves. And people will say either one of two things. I don't want to tell my story because it will make it look like I'm stealing the spotlight, like I'm grandstanding and showboating and 
calling attention to myself. And I don't want to be the sort of person who, I'm just a person in the background. I like to work in the shadows. Uh, I'm nothing special. Don't listen to my story. Otherwise, people will say, my story is ugly. My story is filled with brokenness and shame and darkness. And I don't want people to know my story. I don't want to call attention to where I was or what didn't work. And Paul is saying neither one of those is the point. Uh, The story that we tell isn't about making us look good, and it isn't about making us look bad. The story that we tell is about pointing to Jesus and telling his story in the way that he is at work in our lives. The purpose of telling our story is not to call attention to ourselves at all, but is to give encouragement to each other, to build one another up. This uh, past fall, many of you attended the uh, women's retreat, and uh, it was a, a day that was all about honoring our stories. And over the course of the retreat, uh, there were opportunities for stories to be shared. And after the retreat was was over, I uh, started to hear back little um, testimonials about how that day went and what was most appreciated about that day. And the things that I heard over and over and over again were uh, the stories that were told. It wasn't Liz who came in from New York, and it wasn't the food, and it wasn't the setting. and It, it, it was the stories that were told. Uh, Christy told a story and moved me deeply. Uh, the stories that were told connected, encouraged, and built me up. Nobody came away from that saying, oh, those stories, nothing but a bunch of grandstanding, spotlight-stealing, showboating people calling attention to themselves. Nobody listened to the stories and said, don't want anything to do with those people anymore. There's brokenness there. There's sin in those people's lives. Don't want anything to do with that. We tell our stories. The opposite happens. Instead of rejection, people lean in. People are curious. People know you, and people see the story of Jesus in your life. This morning, I want to invite us to think about our stories. I want us to listen to Paul's commandment. And we're going to do a couple of things. Um, We're going to just provide some space for quiet, three to five minutes, for you to think about your story for you to think about how it is that Jesus has been at work in your life, how you have experienced maybe this Advent season, something about Jesus' peace, hope, joy, or love uh, in your life, the story of Jesus becoming more clear to you. Uh, Perhaps it's earlier this year. Perhaps it's a way that God encountered you and touched your life. I'd just like you to spend a few moments thinking about your story. Maybe if you need to, uh, grab the bulletin and jot down a word or two just to help you keep track of that. Uh, Look back um, and think about your story. Let me uh, pray for us to help us to do that with the Spirit's guidance.
uh, and then we're going to move on from there. So pray with me, please. Lord Jesus, you know our hearts, and you know our minds, and you know our stories. Uh, you know us better than we know ourselves. Uh, Lord, we believe that you have been at work in each one of our lives this past year. We believe that you have shown up and that uh, our lives bear the mark of your handiwork. Lord, help us to recognize that in this moment. Help us to see the story that we have to tell. Help us to see how it is that you have been at work. Help us to recognize our brushes and encounters with you. Just open our eyes. Give us the freedom to see it. And we take just a few moments in silence to hear those stories as you bring them to our recall. have a story about Jesus at work. Have you experienced? Yeah. You can sit down if you want. Yeah. I was uh, an atheist and senior and experiment at work as well working with youth. So I'm afraid to say atheism is just kind of taken, blown out, manipulated lives. So Christianity has Christianity has worked in, and I'm very, very slowly, steadily letting people know that there is a true living God that still exists, and it will return. All right. Thanks, Nadine. One last one. Tom. I just wanted to see if I can get back here. I have a story that I want to encourage you to keep telling your story. When you tell your story, people are encouraged, people are comforted, we build each other up, and Jesus is glorified. Do that work, Church of God. Pray with me, please. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming to be our Savior. Thank you for being our King. Thank you for all the gifts that you give to us and the stories that we can tell about your goodness. Lord, help us to find the wisdom and ability to see you at work and help us to have the courage to tell our stories. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.